Hey, welcome to the podcast. Reading for pleasure. Good job. I like that. That was fun. Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so this week we're talking about a book that's my pick. Um, again, I think it's somewhat controversial. Maybe not. Maybe it is. You decide. Um, because my mind's already made up on that matter. <laughs> uh, it's called Mile High by Liz Tomford. It, it has taken over book talk. Um, uh, I think that we might be on the tail end of the hype of it, but the second book in the series just came out, the Windy City series. Um, but we're not talking about that today. No. We're talking about the OG Mile High. So before we get started, some trigger warnings and content warnings. Um, there's There are mentions of anxiety, body shaming, internalized fat phobia, and strained parental relationships. So if you're listening to this and those are going to be something that you may be triggered by, you might want to turn this podcast off. Um, also, for this book, we're going to talk about well, I'll mention the tropes for this book, enemies to lovers, forced proximity, forbidden romance, reformed playboy. <laughs> I guess I never even thought of it as a forbidden romance one, but okay. Um, I never really thought of it as reformed playboy, so. Yeah, me neither. He's like a but secret it softy. It's a cinnamon roll. Oh, yeah. Ugh, I don't like that. <laughs> I don't know. It just sounds weird to me. <laughs> um, so a lot of people really love this book, and that is all well and good. Uh, Kim and I don't love the book. We're going to try really hard to just focus on the things that we think are really problematic about the book. And just generally, you know, the if the basis of enjoyment of romance novels is representation or if representation in romance novels increases how much you uh, find pleasure in the romance novel, we think that that is particularly problematic in this case. So again, we're going to try not to discuss like our uh, harsh feelings about the book in its entirety. So if you like the book, I do hope that you'll stick around and listen to us uh, bash it for the next hour. But we're going to try to just focus on um, the things that are harmful about it. We also will be talking about the few things that we did like about the book, too. I actually don't have any of that in my notes here, but sure. (laughs) (laughs) There is a section, we promise. Um, uh, Before we get started, just a quick description of the book. Um, It takes place in Chicago, and it features two main characters. Our first main character is Stevie. She's a biracial woman that has become a flight attendant for a professional, or for the Chicago professional NHL team. It is not the actual NHL team, they have a different name. (laughs) That's another discussion. (laughs) If you know what that team's name is. Um, And then our main love interest is Evan Zanders. He is a member of that NHL team. And a bad boy. 
Will he be a reformed playboy? It's in the tropes. So you, you decide. <laughs> um, to start out, a little bit about the author, Liz. So she is a white woman. And uh, she actually is a flight attendant for professional sports teams, which I thought was pretty cool. Not that she's a white woman. I think no. that was pretty cool in this case, but <laughs> <laughs> I do think the fact that she as a fellow white, you're allowed to say that. Thank you. Um, and as a as a biracial woman, you can also say that. Just so you know, <laughs> anyone yeah. can take issue with her being a white woman. In this case, um, yeah. So she is running from her experience as a flight attendant, which I did think was interesting. On the second read through, I was trying to. Anytime you hear about someone's profession like that, someone's like writing about a profession that you don't know a lot about, I was wondering like how much of this is legit. So I'm guessing a lot of it was because that is the one thing Liz knows about and wrote from experience on. True. She she really killed it with a flight attendant representation in this one yeah so what else is uh represented in this book um what do you i mean like what do you mean i need like context (laughs) who might feel represented by this book okay anybody that's a twin stevie (laughs) oh my god (laughs) yeah but that's actually really interesting okay because how many characters have you read that are actually twins? I guess none. Well, uh, what's few, that one? Right? What's that stupid? Uh... <laughs> Perfect adjective. Okay, keep going. There's a there's a fantasy series. Um, Marlboro Lights is obsessed with it. Okay. They're like in a school. They go to school. They're like Gemini twins. Um, I have never read that one. I know. I know you haven't. But it's the Zodiac Academy. Zodiac Academy books. They're twins. Uh, okay, okay. Gemini twins. It's the most yeah, confusing I, thing ever, actually, because they're actually both main characters. And it, they flip flop between POVs. And I never know who's who and what's going on until they start having sex with someone i'm like oh yeah this is the one that's fucking him so that helps me clarify but other than that no idea um anyway but you're right it's rare i'll give you that i was thinking like plus size (laughs) jesus christ Um, okay, so like plus size women might feel represented by this book. <laughs> Any anything else just uh, stick out at you? Okay, biracial people might feel represented by this book. Women of color, perhaps. Women of color. Um, yeah, I would say. Uh, professional athletes could feel really represented by the book. <laughs> all 13 of them that read smut um, um and people with complicated relationships with their parents mm-hmm. also people that live in chicago i think a lot of <laughs> romance I, I i i do think like location is something that's really overlooked when we talk about representation you're because right of romance novels. yeah it's always like 
I grew up in the middle of nowhere in unspecified state, or I live in a really big city that's probably New York City, but I'm not mm -hmm. going to call it New York City. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So those are the ones that we, that stuck out to us. If there's something that you felt represented by in this book, we would love to hear about it. Do you want to dive in? Okay. Yeah. I think the biggest thing that, well, not the biggest, we'll, we'll like maybe start off slow, I think, with people that feel represented, um, I think plus size women specifically is something that we mentioned. And I think that there's a really good conversation around this book because there are some things that I think were done really, really well in this book. And there are some things that didn't love in this book. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think the one thing that happens like in the beginning that we both talked about was um, Stevie's like supervisor, the head flight attendant. I don't know. In um, shit, what's that called? That one where they're on a boat in like what? the Mediterranean. It's just about the staff on Bravo. Oh, <laughs> below deck. Below deck. They call it the head stew, but I don't know <laughs> if that translates to the air. <laughs> Chief stew, isn't that what it is? Chief stew, chief stew, yeah. But do they also call that in the skies, or is that only for water? Like I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't think they call the other ones flight attendants when they're on the water, so I would anticipate there's some difference. No, but I think you're right. Actually, I have to ask Abe. Um, oh yeah, it is. You probably should have talked to him before this. <laughs> yeah, tell us about. Well, you know. I don't think he's having sex with any of the people on his flights, but definitely worth <laughs> checking out. Um, it's not called that, though, because it's something it's happened to him before. Um, so my friend Abe is a flight attendant. He's been doing it for about a year now, but he's still pretty new. Um, he doesn't have like his own route yet, so he like picks up people's shifts kind of thing. And he has the first time he flew. Uh, the flight he picked up, he was the like the lead flight attendant for that flight. Oh my god, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, so it, it definitely he definitely did not text me and say I'm the chief stewardess. Um, <laughs> okay, so. that's kind of disappointing. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho, um, so okay, the we're just gonna call her the chief stew because we don't have a better term for it yeah. right now. If you know the term, go ahead and like hit us up on Instagram or Twitter at Reading for Pleasure Pod. <gasps> so you can comment and let us know or DM us because we're dumbasses and we don't know. <laughs> um, well, she talks about so the flight attendant comes to her room and says your uniform doesn't fit, and Stevie says. That her, like, not to her, but afterwards, she's like, I don't know, internal dialoguing and saying, my weight fluctuates a lot. And something you brought up was you were like, your, like, your weight doesn't fluctuate like 15 to 20 pounds within a week. Yeah, plus, as a fatty, if it does fluctuate like 10 to 15 pounds, my clothes still fit, like, because mm -hmm. 10 to 15 pounds when you're already like 250 300 pounds doesn't make a big difference like right it's not if you're going like 100 to 110 that's like a 10% increase and it's just not the same so can you hear my yeah. dogs barking right now 
Yep. <laughs> your husband. <laughs> I heard that. <laughs> They're podcasting. <laughs> oh, oh my, my gosh, god! This is truly perfect. This Meanwhile, truly perfect. perfect is right here, just silently sitting. Which one is that? Pippin or the other one? No. <laughs> Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Lord of the Rings. Okay. Um, yeah, I, that's like something I didn't even pick up on. I'm just like, mm, guess she gained some weight, but it did make me just a few things made me think that Liz, the author, was not necessarily plus size, and the way that she wrote mm. plus size, this plus size character. That was one. The other thing is when that happens, um, Stevie is like scrolling through Tinder. Maybe they don't call it yeah. that in the book, but she's, you know, she's on a work trip and she's looking to get dicked down and yeah. good for her. It's, you know, she, oh, that was the thing too, though. She doesn't swipe on men that are too attractive. Why? Like, why would you already knock yourself out of the running? Just cause, I mean, she says because she's like, doesn't think that she's like attractive enough. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then they don't match you. She may have yeah. said like it was it, she didn't like like not being matched back or whatever, but anyway, she already like doesn't like men that are too attractive. And then mm-hmm. uh, when she's doing that, when the, when her boss comes in and is like, "By the way, your outfit is too tight," and also that's also when she warns her against fucking the players or like messing around with them. She's like, oh, "I better not even like see you near them." Mm. and then she's like i'm not gonna fuck a rando now i'm just gonna go eat a burger and drink beer because i eat burgers and drink beer like a cool girl so yeah it was very cool girl vibes in a way that was like not this to me yeah i just i mean i think we're we're starting to get into just being hater territory yeah no i agree um by Um, we i mean mostly myself but thanks for coming along mm. for the ride um i will say for me the fatness portion that was like uh, we can talk about something that was good was um when she like goes to xander's house and like sleeps over for the first time and he was like hey i bought you sweatpants because your girl's pants look like shit but he bought them in like four or five different sizes because he was like i don't know your size like and she was like, well, these big ones I can, I, I remember her saying like, yeah, these big ones I can use for like sleeping and then these tighter ones can be for something else, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I thought that was really good. And also like, I hate in books when they're like, he gave me a new wardrobe and somehow knew my size and everything. He like visually measured me with his eyes mm-hmm. and knew. It's always like billionaire ones or like mafia ones where they do that. Yeah. And the thing about it is like. I currently own jeans in like five different sizes, so I'm not sure what man is measuring me with his eyes. Um, <laughs> but it's not old maybe. You know, something that's really interesting about this though, <laughs> that I would love to get your perspective on as a mixed race woman, <laughs> mm-hmm. is um, I remember I commented on actually a TikTok of one of the, I think one of the Brown Sister books. I think okay. the first one, I don't remember the name of. The second one's Danny Brown, but Get a Life Chloe Brown is the Get a first Life one. Chloe Brown. And I mentioned in this comment that 
I because it was a thing about my oh like plus size books and I was like I actually don't feel like this is a good plus size book because at no point does Chloe read as plus size and like nothing about her life indicates that she's plus size like she could be any size from the way that it reads mm-hmm. and someone commented on it and said that part of that is because she's a black woman and in black culture it's not as it's not looked at the same way to be plus size or like to be larger like that is more a more desirable feature so that's Mm -hmm. why it doesn't read as like something people have an issue with or anything that's like even internalized with being fat yeah so i guess tv does have a white mom and Mm. They are particularly hateful, but <clears throat> I <laughs> white mothers in general. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I think that that person is right to an I mean, like if you think about like what United States beauty standards are, like a lot of people are getting BBLs, not just black women, like mm. But that sort of cultural standard is based off of black women and yeah. having like very round hips, uh, a large butt and having big boobs. So I think that, yeah, I think it is like more socially accepted in black culture, American black culture or United States black culture. Um, I think that it's hard because you see like i mean obviously the beauty standard in the united states is for women is white women so and that beauty standard is still like very thin yes i think larger boobs and still like a somewhat bbl is still in for them but i think because if you're thinking about beauty standards through that white lens Mm -hmm. and trying to also take into account that black lens it's harder to reconcile the fact that she doesn't read as fat because maybe i'm guesstimating here you would have to actually weigh in but do you as a white woman because you're plus size feel that you need that you want someone to be like she is fat she moves through the world as fat these experiences are her being fat but being a plus size white woman and being a plus size black woman are two inherently very different experiences also the brown sisters that shit takes all place in uk and that's like also very different too so true yeah i think this thing i mean i think this will be a running theme through the podcast the thing that i always want from a fat character is for her to be fat and like have experiences of what it actually looks like to be fat in in the world and for her to like not care like Mm. like in stevie's case so what if a man is hot to the extent that you don't think he could possibly be interested in a fat woman like if it's Mm. not that's fine a lot of guys are so yes to have that experience um or particularly you know there's a scene later on where um the paparazzi like figures out who stevie is right and it's like oh my god at no point when they were reporting on that was anyone like who's this fatty he's with like that never came up i think that probably would have been a true experience again we hadn't even touched on the fact that no one ever brings up that sanders is black and playing in the nhl um 
but she just the experience that Stevie has being fat is hating herself. That's it. Yeah. Um, never bothers Xander. Uh, her mom hates her, so there is that, I guess, which is uh fair. But other than that, that is not the experience that I want that I want any fat woman to have or that I want to see represented. I I agree. I would rather them be like, okay, I'm fat. But I think yeah. also, like, as two self-identifying fats, like, in Liz Tomford's defense, even though I, I don't think she's plus size, I mean, like, that journey for us, I mean, as, I mean, for me specifically, I can't speak to you, is just like, I didn't wake up one day and was like, I don't care. I'm fat now. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, <laughs> I wasn't just like, I gained 50 pounds and fat is fine with me. Like, yeah. I think because of society, like, there, I do, and I mean, obviously I'm not perfect, so it's not like, oh, I, I'm not, I have no internalized fat phobia whatsoever. Yeah. But I think like, yeah, I'm pretty fine with my body and there's obviously things that, if I wanted to, I could change, but also I don't fucking feel like it because I'm still hot as shit right now. I think what, it's taken a lot of work to get to that yeah. place, I think. And but the thing is, when you're looking at um, in a book, when someone has the opportunity to write about a fat character, like you also have the opportunity to display that, like display the, the confidence that like we have found really just the. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> not even confident just like the fact that we don't care anymore like this is what it is this yeah. is the, the shape of our bodies just is what it is i'm not going to spend any more of my time hating it it's just not worth it so right. in this case you have the chance to like show a confident fat woman or you have the chance to show a fat woman that hates herself when i read that as someone who is either body neutral or body positive um mm. I think a little voice is like, should I hate myself? Like, that's what mm. that's what this book teaches is like, you should hate your, you should be thinking when you're like scrolling through Tinder, maybe I'm not hot enough for this guy. Like, at no point do mm. we get any kind of counter uh, argument for that. Uh, we get a little bit of like her fighting back to her mom and like her dad being like, eh. But when you are writing characters of marginalized communities that is an opportunity to show the way we could feel about ourselves and instead are choosing to show uh what society largely probably thinks we feel or it's just a, it's a derogatory yeah. representation of a fat woman in my opinion okay i will say to your point too that i think when we read romance like whether it be contemporary or fantasy or I don't know, mafia or whatever, like you're going into a different world. And we talked about this a little bit with, for those listening, we had, did some practice rounds and we <laughs> read a book called Choosing Theo. We're not going to release that, but um, <laughs> maybe on the Patreon someday. Yeah. <laughs> um, Choosing Theo, where you know, you could, it's, it happens in an alien word, world where you could really reinvent um societal's beauty standards and like what people think is beautiful and all these things and i think that 
even with contemporary, you can do the same thing, even though it's supposed to be taking place during the United and here in the United States today. I think there is a way that like why I mean. I guess I would have felt more represented by the fact that this woman, if Stevie would have been like, yeah, I'm fat. It is what it is. Like, you know what I mean? Or like, not like even neutral or like body, uh, sorry, body positive. I think where she's like, I love my curve. Well, she, I think she even says that she loves her curves and she loves the, well, fact it feels that, like, like she's lying. <laughs> if she said that she's a liar. I think so. She does say that, but it, I mean, I agree. This is a book. We're escaping our actual lives to read this sort of thing. So she could have been less hateful towards herself, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, are there other ways that the fatness representation felt harmful or off to you? Mm. Um, yeah, I guess that moment with the paparazzi was just like, I don't know if we're getting into hater territory now, but it was just like so cringe in a way that was like, I felt like there needed, the author maybe felt like there needed to be like a redemption arc in a way where like she has all of this like self-hatred and like internalized fat phobia. And then she was like, Xander's love has willed me into a person that's okay with my, starting to be okay with my body. And, yeah. Yeah. You know, uh and i i didn't love that that was the reason why she was like you know that she was like starting to be okay with herself i mean i guess there's got to be a starting point and something like that it reminds me of um remember that guy that wrote that article on medium or whatever that was like i love my fat wife yeah like, i love my wife even though she's fat, she's fat. And, like yeah. i deserve an award for loving a fatty <laughs> yeah yeah um, vibe. yeah and it's funny I think my own experience in embracing my fatness and not hating it was actually when my boyfriend broke up with me remember this was a this yeah. was probably like PTSD for Kim who had to experience it as my college roommate <laughs> but after that and then I spent like months being like a crying little wimp and being like I want my boyfriend to take me back because actually, I don't know if you remember this, I broke up with him. Yes, I do remember. And then regretted it. And then he was like, yes. actually, maybe you were right. Anyway, and then for a while, I was just like a stupid little mess about it. And then I was just like, so what? Who cares? And had this like come to Jesus moment of being like, this is the way my body is. And like, I can hide it for the benefit of other people, or I can just wear what I want. Or I'm just like, this is who I am. And like chasing after some guy who's a loser because like to not choose me makes you a loser. Like you're an idiot because I'm the I shit. Did. And then really my self-confidence and ego is, has only grown from there, but um, it just is what it is. And so it was never because I, I never felt better or like changed the way I felt about myself because a guy saw me as worthy. Like if a guy saw mm -hmm. me as worthy, I was like, correct. You are right to think that. Yes. And if you walk into every room knowing you're the hottest girl in the room, other people start to believe it too. Believe it too. Yeah. So, one hundred percent agree. 
And then if the thing about that too is when you tie your self-worth to a man, what's going to happen if Xander's and CB break up? She's for any reason. For. Yeah, I mean, for. it's unhealthy, and I think it's unhealthy of Liz to portray it that way. Agreed. Um, I think we got to move on to, we touched on it a little bit, but I think like the most glaring maybe injustice to these characters is that Xander's is black and Stevie is biracial and their experiences do not reflect that in this book. Yeah. I think Xander's being a black player in the NHL and there's no discussion about there's like I if I remember correctly there's literally one sentence about it and that was it is a true injustice to these characters and I think that it is glaringly obvious to me specifically that Liz Tomford is a white woman writing about these characters yeah, it was definitely one of those things reading it when they start to talk about him being black. And then as I started to read it, like reading his dialogue and stuff, I was like, there's no way this author is black or a person mm-hmm. of color in any way, shape, form or fashion. Like this has to be a white woman and looked it yeah. up and I was like, Ugh. I remember telling I was like, you have to read this book. And I remember you being mm-hmm. like this book. I, I don't like this. I was like, I never said you were going to like it. I just said you <laughs> needed to read it. Um, that was truly my fault for, for thinking that you would think I would like a book. So I didn't think you would like it. <laughs> I just thought you needed to read it because it's wild. And then sometimes I am like, oh, it was good. Or sometimes I couldn't stop reading it or I like wanted to read yeah. it. And at the same time, I was like, wow, like there is absolutely no cultural indication that these characters are black both in like the way that they interact with one another and the other characters in the book and just the way that they interact with like the environment or the way the the environment like acts around them like it was just void of any cultural indication like neither of those characters has black friends yeah like what 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 it's just really it's like a very i like something that we put in the notes is that i don't remember who's which one of us said it is that it's a very sterilized form of blackness Mm. and i do want to point out that yes blackness is not a monolith like i don't think that there are specifics that i could point out and say like well he wouldn't say it like this or you know they wouldn't feel this way like Every black person is different. Yeah. But, yeah. But and it was really go ahead. Sorry. I just think if, if you would have said that these were two white characters and we would have read the book, it would have read, there would be no differences. I agree. I agree. I agree. So I it feels that... like, and I, I think someone said there's been some, she's had, she's taken heat for this. Absolutely particularly by uh black women creators and which is also just like wild it's not wild to me but you look on tiktok you see a ton of white female creators 
just going crazy over this book and like it's like the best book ever and they're obsessed with Mm. it knowing like white women are obsessed with a book that portrays a black man and a biracial woman that's fine black women i've not seen a single black woman talk about this book except to uh critique it to criticize it and i had to right. look for those like that was never came up on my fyp like i never just got fed that which is weird because right. i get a, i get a lot of people bitching about a lot of books but <laughs> never this and it wasn't until i like, started searching um for stories about the book that i actually like found that so yeah it was so what what about it what about a book about a black man and a biracial woman is so uh, attractive to all these white women or like what makes all these white women um, relate to the story so much or see themselves in it or like want it um, and find it so enjoyable when so many biracial and black women do not. Yeah. I think, um, and again, no one's a monolith, and I'm sure there I'm sure there are biracial women and black women who do enjoy the book. That's fine. I, if you listen to our trailer, you know that the genesis for this podcast was research that I had done for my master's dissertation about the correlation between feeling represented by a romance novel that you read and whether or not that increases your enjoyment of that book, and. I think that um, uh, there are many ways to feel represented. Uh, It's not just race. Um, One of the respondents was like, I really relate to characters that are older sisters because I think I'm a good older sister and all these things. Um, And I think that based on research and what you're saying that... um, white women specifically when i asked what kind of books they wanted to see more of said they wanted to see more books with diversity in in characters which wasn't explicitly said race but i think that's coded in what they were saying yeah um i think i probably said that as someone that you i know we can't talk about your research in terms of who you i just can't reveal i personally cannot reveal who my interviewees were okay well cats if one of them would like to reveal themselves (laughs) (laughs) that's Um, fine (laughs) i was one of them and and sometimes we talk about this idea of like why like why read diverse novels or why why should it be a thing and i think that we like champion so much and i do think that when we look at romance novels, it tells us a little bit about like who deserves love or who is worthy of love or all these different right. things. And, you know, I think all media we consume, like can change a little bit about how we think. And, you know, uh, I want to read diverse. I want to read more diversity, specifically uh, racial diversity in my romance novels to change the way that I think a little bit and to help me see love and sex and interest outside of the confines of what I know. And I think it's, I just think, yeah, that for me, that's it. And in this case, I think also like expands it it, for um, (laughs) a black romance novel 
written by a black person to me like helps me see like a different way of viewing things and like just experiencing it differently and this book does not Mm -hmm. yeah i would say that that's very true do you think there's like a little bit of white guilt that comes into play i would say someone that feels they need to write Mm, i don't know i'm not gonna I'm not sure. I think that one thing that could have really improved this book would have been, I don't know, talking to people that are biracial or black or people that are not white that play in the NHL. She claims, I mean, I saw in her, she's like an apology video when people, I don't know, it's a bunch of apology. It's not an apology. It's a... uh, it's just a defense video of her defending right. the book. And she's, she had sensitivity readers, plural, apparently, allegedly. Yeah, but were they black? Oh, I just assumed they all were. Who the hell needs I mean, a white sensitivity reader? <laughs> <laughs> Why would you... <laughs> there are other races besides white and black, actually. Okay, wild. that's fair. <laughs> I assume you would have, you know, someone represented in the book, a race represented or some identity represented that that would do the sensitivity reading. But I I think there's a difference between nothing about the book and that I saw, and feel free to correct me, I didn't see anything particularly harmful to black folks or like there were any harmful representations Except for right. the fact that they weren't actually represented at all. Like, nothing is overtly, like, racist about it. Like, nothing... There's nothing no. that they say where you're like, oh, that's problematic. It's just the fact that it fucking exists. There's, like, one example, but I would say, like, overall, this book is, like, not racist. We can... There's, like, two things, other things that are in the notes that we can say about this, and then we can move into the one thing that I think is, like, slightly racist and, like, a very missed opportunity. So the first thing is I think it's very racially coded that Xanders is the enforcer on the team. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it inherently racist? I don't think so, but I think that that's, like, a very stereotypical way to portray him in this in this book yeah i'm not like a huge hockey person i rooted for the washington capitals when i lived there whoa and there was a black person on the team Devonte smith belly so i was gonna say i bet you even know his name oh yeah of course i know his name he was the only black guy on the team of course because it's a big deal it's like a thing it's, it's a huge deal for it yeah <sighs> and he was not an enforcer Good. on the team yeah and then i would say the other thing is Another thing that's like racially coded is the fact that in the partnership with Eli, he, like Eli's like the the family man, the good guy. Oh, his so friend, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Dream. And then Xander's is like, I'm a bad boy. Ah, uh, fuck bitches. Fuck every game, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I I don't think we needed that. Or like, why couldn't the white guy do that? Or like, I don't know. I don't know. I think about that a lot in terms of uh, 
media and like how you know i think we've talked about this before but like mm. especially in early seasons of things like law and order the bad guy they're a person of color and it's a brown or black person you know and it, it's just like oh it's a thug and what that does especially for folks like me who grow up in very rural america and like i remember i didn't see a black person until i was like five or six and it was at kmart mm. and i remember it like vividly because it's something literally there's so i never knew this about you <laughs> yeah there's like four four percent of west virginia is mm. uh black or mixed race so it's highly likely people go a long time without ever seeing someone and like let alone like meeting and knowing them and like understanding right. So what you get out of media like says a lot to you and it really does, even if it's not, um, you know, I don't think people would come out and say it and like, oh, well, I know this about black people because I saw on TV, but it really does like paint your beliefs about folks and like the stereotypes Uh that you believe. So yeah, it's just, I think it's something that we have to be really sensitive about. And in this case, I, I don't think it was I think that since whoever sensitivity read this, you know, I don't know if it's something that it's so much. It's so key to the plot. I don't feel yeah, like I mean, you need to change the entire book. I don't book. think black romance. Okay. Maybe that's another discussion. It's hard because it's like, I, as like a black presenting multiracial person, like can tell that this was not, I mean, you as a non-black person whatsoever, like, yeah, this was written by a white woman. And it's just like very culturally not, but at the same time, I don't need to read a book where there's like, I think a lot of people, and I I, I read some articles about this or maybe, and by read articles, maybe it was on Twitter, I don't know, (laughs) Um, (laughs) that were like, why do black stories not just romance like whether it be film or tv or books or whatever medium have to have struggle all the time yeah and i think like there are time i think that struggle is inherently part of the black experience in the united states but i think also every aspect of my life is not struggle yeah i mean like is it harder for me to do things because i'm not white absolutely but there are times when I'm doing things where that is not prevalent. And so it's hard to reconcile. And I think like when I, and by Twitter, I mean black Twitter, um, there was a conversation about it. Um, You mean white Twitter is not talking about these kind of (laughs) heavy hitting topics? You mean Twitter? (laughs) I I don't have a Twitter. I do have a Twitter, but I've never on it but yeah i rarely use mine just for lurking i was thinking about because we talked about this and feel free or don't about your own experience in this realm of like what would have made it feel like these characters were black and like in one case i think they start to talk about like does she have a sneaker collection or something or she likes sneakers she likes she likes air forces that's like what those it is little top air forces yeah but she like doesn't even take care of them i don't that, no. that, that felt inauthentic like, girl that is not black that's yeah that, it's like a literally a meme on black twitter about white girls not taking care of their air forces <laughs> like yeah it felt really disingenuous and mm-hmm. and again i'm sure there are black people who own sneakers and don't take care of them 
um, you brought sneakers to college in their boxes. So mm-hmm. that is true, actually. Um, but what are okay. other ways that are like, are, are, are there ways that you feel like it could have been black coated or it could have felt more authentic to like a mixed race experience? I think like she had like a little bit of an internal struggle about being like my what my mom is white and she is very thin and I am not that my body type is very curvy and I have curly hair and she talks about fix your hair and and like it's so big and it's like I get that because I mean when you met me I had relaxed hair mm, oh my god I forgot about that I know right it's only been like I guess it's been five years since I've been natural maybe Five or six, maybe. Yeah. So, like, I, I understood. From that aspect, I think I understood, like, the struggle. Um, and I think I will say when she meets up with her friends and she's like, they're white, they're thin. She's like, I am not that. I, I will never be that. Like, I also understood that struggle and, like, what it's like to see, like, these people that are your friends that are like the height of what societal standards are which i guess like not to any fault of your own was like you for me i think when we first met i mean like like this thin white girl with red hair and i'm like oh my god oh my god you thought i was thin <laughs> everyone's fucking wet dream over here <laughs> oh my god um i think i weighed 175 pounds just to be clear which i think is more than stevie does in this book I Sarah, when we were eighteen, yeah, you were tiny. Nope, false. Okay, we can. I'm thinking about after you and your ex-boyfriend broke up. Okay, that's true. I did lose a lot of weight then, but anyway, yeah. Um, but so I do understand that. Like, I don't. The problem is also like being multiracial is not a monolith, but like there was like not an internal struggle for her about like I think something that I struggle with. I've struggled with my whole life and even now is like you're never black enough for black people and you're obviously never white enough for white people or you're never Latina enough for Latinx people you're never Asian enough or whatever it's just because you're being pulled in multiple directions um so I think she touched on it but it wasn't it wasn't fully developed in a way that was like, I'm sure it's not something you picked up on. I'm sure like someone mm-hmm. that's not had that experience would have picked up on it. And I think what you said about like portraying real experiences um, of marginalized groups is really important because then it's something that like you can understand. And by you, I mean you specifically. So yeah. That's in. Because you'll never be multiracial, <gasps> which is a detriment to you. Hmm. I'm heartbroken. Yeah. Um, are there pieces? I mean, going back to what you said earlier, are there were there opportunities to like express black joy, or uh, like what are some things that would have felt culturally competent in like a positive way, even? For like celebration wise, or, or just like just even things like, um, I don't know, like thinking about like the sneaker thing. But are there other ways, other parts of Black culture that could have been 
addressed again knowing that like no one's a monolith no group is a monolith but Mm -hmm. are there things that would have felt a little more true to a mixed race or black cultural experience black athlete culture Mm. um they did talk about his clothes a lot and i will say like that is very big like also black people (laughs) start a lot of trends when it comes to clothing and like him talking about like or her even saying like going into his closet and like him always dressed to the nines and like having these really nice outfits and like if you i think specifically about nba culture where it's like the the after game press conference and like Mm -hmm. it's dressed to impress it's not it's not just wearing your sweatpants home like you know you have to have on an outfit and they might ask you who is it by and what sneakers are you wearing and who's your watch and all this stuff i mean it's it's really like the the black cultural red carpet if you will (laughs) (laughs) um but i thought that that was actually done pretty well um i think culturally the biggest detriment to these characters and their black joy is the fact that they don't have any black friends oh yeah if they do they're like not brought up at all you know what i mean like black joy i think is not i mean it's a very communal culture and your community is big and like because both of them have like such strained familial relationships that you'd think that there would be i don't know some chosen family that was yeah one person was black like damn especially i mean like he's in a very isolated position as what i'm sure is one of very few black members of his team if not the Mm. only one but we don't ever touch on that so yeah yeah so but speaking of black familial relate like the strained relations i think that we should talk about the mothers in these book in in this book because it is really i mean if you have a strained relationship with your mother and you want to feel represented in that (laughs) way like damn is this book perfect for you (laughs) um something that you brought up specifically was um the portrayal of xander's mother being a like a gold digger and mm-hmm. oh yeah. yeah i i think in particular again like when you are uh when you're writing about black characters there's such an opportunity to challenge stereotypes um that right. we see a lot in media and again that was a really missed opportunity in this case because they just described you know they described this like absent mother who didn't want to do this anymore and just like left and then she only comes back in to uh to get his money and i like you could have there was a great opportunity here to show a strong black familial unit um yeah and what we got was like more of the same in terms of what the media like wants us to believe about black families uh, or, right. or or i guess the story that we get told way more often and mm-hmm. again like when you especially as a white woman writing a book like this when you lean into that instead of uh you know i guess uh, in some ways, people are going to be like, oh, you want, like, real experiences. And that's true. You, but again, you can be – I don't I don't think that having an absent mother or having, like, 
a broken family unit is indicative of the black experience or a biracial experience. It's a thing people want us to believe that's not true. Mm-hmm. And she could have shown that and she could have shown a lot of other indicators, like you're saying, that would have made us believe the characters were black. And it feels like in this case, she took took an easy out or just wasn't culturally competent about the story she was telling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think black women already, um, specifically in this country, are treated quite poorly and looked down upon and there's a lot of stereotypes surrounding them so this is when we were talking about do you think that this book or like things in this book are racist i think like this is something that's like honestly pretty racist to me like portraying the mom in this way this black mother yeah Mm. he had a sister right yeah i thought actually the relationship between him and his sister was really good um as someone who lived across the country from well not across the country but an hour's drive away from my siblings like I actually could really relate to the relationship where like they didn't talk every day but they did talk and like when they did talk like it seemed like it was a really healthy relationship and and I really appreciated that so actually I would say that I did feel represented by by that um that relationship in the book Uh, got one Um, you want to talk about Stevie's mom? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, I've talked to other people. I, I, this might be different for you as well, but even I would say my relationship with my grandmother growing up was that she told me I was fat and that I should be <laughs> eating less and uh, buying yeah. bigger clothes and all this stuff, but like... A lot of people that I know that grew up fat, um, you know, like the first time I was on Weight Watchers, I was like 13. Wow. Yeah. And my mom was like always on some new, there was always some new diet pill, oh like anything that mm. Dr. Oz said could help you lose weight. My mom was buying it. And mm. that idea of like, my mom would never just be like, you're fat and you need to lose weight. It's all these like other like death by a thousand cuts or whatever is how it showed up. Like microaggressions. Yeah. And that's not what we get from Stevie's mom. She's like, oh, sweetheart, mm-hmm. you need to lose weight. Like it was felt like very direct in a way that I don't actually think is um, what it's like or what it was. Yeah. You know, it just didn't feel authentic. I think I had the opposite experience growing up fat. My family was like, you look fine. What's wrong with you? <laughs> my grandma's like, you're never going to be as thin as now. Put on a bikini. Don't wear one piece. I'm like, okay. Wow. Gma is goals. She's like, have more ice cream. What's wrong with you? Like, <laughs> That's oh, cute. Funny. Yeah, I just thought, and I, I don't remember which one of us brought this up, is that this white mother and this black father in the south and there's like nothing in the book about that you know yeah and not even like i mean we're talking like a hell of a lot of money like they're rich right they come from this like the southern like debutante society and no one brings up that she married a black man we're Mm -hmm. not gonna like that that never was an issue are you kidding Mm me yeah I mean, I'm not from the South and I'm not saying like 
my family had an issue with it, but girl society was not here for me being a beautiful multiracial baby here. <laughs> you were a model. I actually was a child model. Yeah. Readers, see if you can figure out who did who I modeled for. <laughs> By readers, I mean listeners. <laughs> uh yeah. And I mean even um you know, you know, I like to watch a lot of TikToks of people doing yes. black hair in particular. Mm. Again, not to backtrack a little bit, but Stevie never Stevie never like needed to get a protective style during this time or wanted one or she never had a wash day. Are you kidding me? That didn't come up. Um <laughs> in this case though. <laughs> It's just so funny to hear me talk. Hear me talk about she never had a protective style. She didn't have wash day. <laughs> just like her hair was just so easy to manage, and just like yeah. you know, mm. um, and you're doing all that travel and stuff. I'm sorry, it's just not believable. But I know, if I would have been on the road that much, these this hair would have been in some box braids somebody's you know what i really wanted was a wig install scene in the book that's my favorite but it's fine that might have been past lid top (laughs) cultural knowledge of black hair (laughs) she really should have had you as a sensitivity reader turns out we whites are good for something (laughs) we can be sensitivity readers too you should have been a ghostwriter and you could have just written that one scene. I would have made her a sneaker head too. <laughs> um anyway, oh. but with that too like you know I mean I well you may actually know. But like what was it like growing up with, you know, textured hair in a white family? They like didn't know, they never like taken care of Hell no. There were like things that my family said about my hair. Like, because when I was like young, we didn't know about like bonnets and all that shit. And so when I would wake up, my aunt would call me. She would be like, Your hair looks like the heat miser from. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> from that fucking Christmas movie. Oh my God. The and year without a Santa I, Claus. Yes, yes. And because I went to predominantly, or I went to predominantly white institutions, PWIs, like my whole life, I mean, I wanted straight hair so badly. I wanted to look like everybody else. So when I was 17, I got a relaxer and never looked back until I realized I wanted to have hair when I was 45. <laughs> so I needed to stop putting chemicals in it. <laughs> yeah. Uh it just seems but. like Stevie's mom doesn't even want her to like her. No, she like doesn't even care. Like Stevie's mom is there to be the um, Mrs. Bennett of this book almost well, from Bride and Prejudice where she's like, you just need to get married. You don't need anything else. Yeah. And like, you know what I mean? Like it, it kind of feels that way in a way where I'm like, my thankfully my parents are not this way they don't give a fuck if i get married or have kids or whatever and i i do have friends that get that pressure from their parents i have friends in varying degrees from very severe pressure all the time to i guess i'm the opposite end of the (laughs) the scale here but 
uh, that was like a, I think we're starting to maybe get into hater territory here, but that was just like kind of a, a, a turn off for me. Yeah, no, I get that. Um, the other thing about it though, when we, when we read these books or when people are writing these books, like who the villain is, right? And there's this very common in romance novels for another woman to be villainized like that's the bad person so we see these like in the beginning it's like the women that xander is leaving with um Mm -hmm. these sluts that just (laughs) want to get fucked um (laughs) i get it all out yeah Mm, sorry okay and then it's the moms yeah but it's women i mean i think the the agent is who ends up being like the main bad guy but how many women do we hate on (laughs) in between yeah yeah that's true and we don't have to do that chiefs do (laughs) my god (laughs) that's first off you don't have the term so that's what she is all right (laughs) yeah um before we start wrapping up, there are two academic articles that I, or one's an academic article, one's a Guardian article that I've used for um, an essay for my, not for my dissertation, for my graduate degree that I think are really interesting. One is by Godden et al. called The Medium of Testimony, Testimony as Representation. And it talks about um, nonprofits and how they portray the people that they serve, the specific nonprofits they looked at were um, for refugees and immigrants. And which I'm saying both words, but there are there is politics around both those words. But um, and it's and it talks about, you know, testimony can never be true unless it is said, edited, portrayed by the person giving the testimony, like everything that we read or like see in the news and and media is somehow edited. Like say you're an immigrant and I filmed you. I, uh, I'm editing what you're saying to make it fit how I want you to be portrayed or how I need you to be portrayed to get my, my mission across or whatever we're trying to say across. Um, and then the second article is called, does Lena Dunham know more about Syrian <laughs> refugees than a Syrian writer? Stop. It's in a Guardian article from 2018. Oh my God. And it was that she was um, given the rights to like this story about a Syrian refugee, I think, coming to the United States. And there was a lot of backlash, understandably, because she does not know that experience. She has no reference for that experience. Well, she probably did it for the gays. <laughs> Oh, man. But if you want to read more about, I think, maybe our most glaring issue with the book is the fact that Liz Tomford is white and that these characters are, it's very obvious that they're written by her. Um, or written by someone, not her specifically, but written by someone that is not biracial or black. Um, I think that those articles give a really good understanding of why it's important to have, I mean, geez, just like one cultural reference. Maybe I, maybe one's a low bar, but some cultural reference to the type of characters that you're writing about. And and I, I will say for this podcast that 
race is not going to be the main focus of everything we read or everything we talk about. It just so happens that this does. When we talk about representation, it's more than race. It's personality, it's height, it's location, it's occupation, it's so many different things. It's not just race. Yeah. Um, so I think that means that we can move on to our last two segments. There's two more segments? Yeah. Ooh, okay. Is this what we talk about what we liked about it? No. Oh, God I guess three it. segments then. Jesus <laughs> okay, Christ. so let's go ahead and talk about go ahead and kick off what you liked about it since you seem so enthusiastic about that. Men went to therapy. Men were vulnerable with each other and their partner. Okay. That's what I got <laughs> on the list that you sent me. You... <laughs> you have nothing else. I didn't think the sex was that good. Hey, oh, because, oh, stop. Hold on. Because I fucking hate this book. Why on earth would you name a book Mile High? And it's about people on airplanes and they never fuck on the plane? Are you kidding okay, yeah. me? Are you okay, kidding yeah. me? I don't How know if that was. You have that soapbox to be a, a hater right now. I because, don't know yeah. that if she was like, oh, because I'm a professional flight attendant, I would never actually like fuck a person on a plane. That mm. she felt like she could do that, or that that's like what she should do. Then don't name it Mile High. <laughs> but honestly, just don't. Uh, when I started reading the book, I was like, oh my gosh, it's gonna be like. There's going to be like forbidden plane sex. It's going to be like a secret mm. because she's the flight attendant and he's the player. No. I'm just, I'm furious, honestly. D, none of the above happened. Okay, so going back to our likes. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, like I said, I really enjoyed Xander's and... Well, we can actually, that's a different part. Um, yeah, I guess the therapy part was really <laughs> just, I thought it was really interesting and something you don't read even in romance novels a lot is men being really vulnerable with each other. And I really appreciated that Xanders and Eli could be um, very vulnerable with each other and talk openly about going to therapy and talk openly about their feelings and things like that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay, the second is how did you feel represented by this book? And I'll go first because the answer is Xander's relationship with his sister. Mm. Just um, because of that long distance. Go ahead. I don't have one. Okay, so you didn't feel represented by this book. No, and as such, I did not enjoy this book. <laughs> I also did not enjoy this book, but... I felt represented by one small, minuscule aspect of the story. Wild, since it's about a biracial woman. <sighs> Which I guess, you know, I'm monolith, so... <laughs> the last segment is the pleasure meter. Does the it fuck? The answer is... No. no. I would give it like a 3 out of 10. Yeah, that sounds right. 
And I think, yes, the biggest gripe is the fact that they didn't fuck on the plane. Also, it was so long. And we tried to, like, I read it, and then I was like, Kim, you should read this book. And Kim was like, oh, this book is terrible. We should talk about it for the podcast. And I was like, okay, I should probably reread it. Could not. It was just so long. It was really, really long. Yeah. No book needs to be that long. Mm-mm. Yeah, I agree. We're getting into hater territory. So, that's the end of the podcast. What book are we reviewing for next week? We are going to talk about, I think it's called Games with the Orc. Did you just download it yeah, yesterday? Yeah. Games with the Orc by Catherine Moon. Ooh, the one and only Catherine Moon. Catherine Moon's my girl. I subscribe to her Patreon. I've already read this book one chapter at a time in a serial format over on Patreon. If you like smut, you should also subscribe to this is not an advertisement i just really like Catherine moon's patreon <laughs> it's really good and she mails you pictures like she um commissions artists to draw parts of the books sex scenes mostly and then she mails them to you she'll like mail you a print you don't have to there's some like wimps that opt out of the mailing i guess because every time before she has a mailing she has to be like tell me now if you don't want the picture mailed to your house and people are like oh yeah take me off that list and i'm like can you send me theirs too <laughs> but so you can send them out as your christmas cards. oh my god can you i'm gonna have to talk to her about that <laughs> by which i mean comment on something on patreon i don't I don't, I don't have like an open line with Catherine moon yet <laughs> um i would die yeah but i pay um, i pay five dollars a month for this patreon which is more than i spend on a book most like I, if i saw a book that was like five dollars i'd be like oh no right know your audience true um but for Catherine, five dollars a month sometimes there's new chapter like sometimes she's doing a book chapter by chapter sometimes she's not and i'm still paying five bucks a month <laughs> well worth it i suppose yeah then. that's what we're gonna read all right oh and it's about a fatty who uh <laughs> she she's not like super fat or anything but She's a little, a little plus size and she breaks up with her boyfriend and he was boring. And she's like, I want to get dicked down. And so she hires uh, a sex worker Ooh. and she wants, she's like really into like primal play that she wants to try it at least. She's never like gotten to try it out. So she hires a sex worker who's an orc to. You're not going to say the whole thing, right? No, I'm just I'm giving only you like the... 10 pages in. Oh. She hires a a sex worker who's an orc to help her live out her fantasies. To fuck her hard. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> With his dick. <laughs> oh well, god. if you want to hear more fun, fun and representation and us just being dumb idiots, tune in next week wherever you get your pods. Bye. And follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Reading for Pleasure Pod. You can email us at Reading for Pleasure Pod. Do you want people to follow you on your socials or no? No. I'm just a okay. socialist on social media. Me too, but maybe they want that. <sighs> okay. Well, you can request me, I guess, but I'm not going to accept it. <laughs>
<laughs> my profile is public because I don't give a fuck. So we'll let you figure out if you can find us. <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Reading for Pleasure. Find out what we'll be talking about next week by following us on Instagram, Facebook, Threads, or TikTok at Reading for Pleasure Pod. And you can support us by going to our Patreon where we have exclusive episodes, polls, and more. And our other series, Edibles and Erotica. We also want to thank our graphic designer, Dexter, who designed our logo and our branding. And as always, shout out to producer Livia for editing and pulling this together. And shout out to us for having this fucking idea. Yeah. See you next time. <laughs>